0: Thank you, Cindy, for that reminder. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to John chapter 17. We continue with our Portraits of Christ series. This morning is Jesus, our intercessor. Jesus, our intercessor. John chapter 17, when you found your place there, could I encourage you to take out your bulletins for a moment? We got a new bulletin this morning. Uh, Calvin spent some time this week and designed us an ace bulletin. And uh, there's a purpose to it. And I want to share it with you so that we understand it throughout the year. Um, on the top of each column in the inside of our bulletin is our theme for this year, Inspire, Integrate, and Involve. Underneath each of those headings are activities that would help for each of those different objectives for the year. So under Inspire, we have preaching, we have the Missions Conference, which is preaching, fulfilling the mandate of God's Great Commission is all under Inspire. We are inspired when we submit ourselves to God's word, it ignites something in our heart. There's also opportunities to pray. When you get to alone with God and you pray or you get together in corporate prayer, uh, that's a great time to be inspired. All right, so then under integrate will be activities, opportunities for fellowship. And we encourage you when we say integrate to invite people that maybe are just starting to come to church. Maybe they don't come to church but invite them to these different activities. And so you'll see there different activities that are listed throughout the years and things that are going on uh, throughout the year. And then involve our opportunities for ministry, serving the Savior on the last column. And so the next meeting, of course, a special offering for the Dobb family. That's an opportunity to serve God. We need some baking for the ladies' tea and, and all the rest. And so that will help you this year to understand each column has a purpose and uh, underneath those things, now sometimes, of course, we'll, we'll only have two or three. We'll draw a line and we'll put a little thank you note or something else that's, that's going on in the church. But for the most part, uh, we'd like you to understand that we're trying to uh, help us to inspire, integrate, and involve. All right? And so let's take this mandate seriously throughout the year. And all of those activities fall under those columns. Also, I would encourage you, keep a bulletin in your Bible. Um, we've printed the full Romans Road of Salvation on the back, uh, or in one of the columns there on the, on the back side of the bulletin. Uh, before, we just had that little ABC, three verses very quickly. But now you have a more thorough plan of salvation. Keep that in your Bible. And when you're talking to people, you have a reference guide uh, to help you lead a soul to Christ. All right? Then, of course, on the back is our weekly schedule, nursery schedule, and statistics from the week before. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, please. John chapter. 17, John chapter 17. As you remember, we are in the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 16, we we read about how Christ was preparing his disciples with some promises. He gave them some promises that would help them endure the hatred, the persecution, and the rejection that he talked about in John chapter 15. John chapter 14 is the first mention of any of this right after he met with his disciples in the upper room for the last supper, the Lord's table as we now call it. And so in John chapter 14, of course, he tells them about heaven, that Christ was going there to prepare a place for them, that he would come again and receive them unto himself that where he was there, they may be also. John chapter 15, he began to talk about hatred and persecution and how it would affect them as well. And in verse chapter 16... He left them with some important promises. But now the time is short. The Lord Jesus Christ is about to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And the last thing he will do on this earth is pray. He will pray what we call in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. Then he'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there he will set himself apart and he will pray again. You'll remember the disciples kept falling asleep. It had been a long day and a long night. And Jesus said, can you not watch and pray with me for but one hour? It was during that time of prayer that the soldiers came and took the Lord Jesus Christ at the betrayal of Judas and would lead him off to Pilate's Hall, then to Caiaphas' house, and back and forth through the night until finally he was condemned to death. You die upon the cross on a hill called Calvary or Golgotha. There he was made a laughing stock for the world. As we were in Israel a couple years ago, we got to see that place of the skull, Golgotha. And our guide said to us, you know, it's interesting that so many artists' conceptions of this place have Jesus crucified on top of the hill. But he said it's very likely that he was crucified down here. In front of it, the Bible just said led away to a hill. It didn't say upon the hill. Because right there was the Roman road that went through. It was there that he was most visible to everybody else. It was there that he would be mocked and scorned by the passers by. It was there that it would best serve as a warning to those that were coming and going from Jerusalem that they were still in the Roman Empire and they still must abide by their laws crucifixion was a possibility. Jesus Christ would die there on that cross and shed his blood. But in preparation for that time, we see that Christ prayed two different times. This is the first, and we'll look at the second at a later time. But I want you to notice this morning in John chapter 17, and read with me, if you will, the content of Christ's prayer and how we can learn that Jesus, through his prayer, really loves us. Let me encourage you to do something. We come on Wednesday nights and we gather in prayer. And Sunday nights, we have a prayer time at 5.30. Go to those, those sessions of prayer and be encouraged to pray with somebody you don't know. Get with somebody new that you've not met before or fellowshiped with a whole lot. You learn more about people by praying with them than any other thing. Several years ago, I I was uh, at Faithway Baptist Church and they had a conference. I can't remember; it must have been their spring Bible conference. And Pastor Alan Holman was there. I don't know if you know Pastor Holman, but Pastor Holman is just a massive, strong man. He had been a steel worker for a lot of years, and by moving big pieces of steel, his his arms would just bulge. He. He never wore that I can remember, maybe others can remember, but I remember seeing him several times in a short-sleeved shirt, and it was mainly because it seemed that he couldn't get the sleeves over his muscles. Just a big, strong man. And because of that, it just seemed like, and just his face, you know some people have those faces that just don't tend to smile. He was a happy guy, but his natural look kind of looked glum. It's just the way he was. It wasn't that he was unhappy, it was just the way his face was. And so uh, I, I was kind of always nervous around this guy. He's a big guy, and he's a, he kind of doesn't look real happy all the time. And I, I don't know how to approach him. Well, one day, Pastor uh, was preaching, and he encouraged after the service during the invitation, would you grab somebody you don't know real well and, and come and pray with them? And Brother Holman was sitting in front of me, and he turned and said, Brother Fury, come pray with me. I met the most tender-hearted man by spending some time in prayer. It opened up a whole new world to me about Pastor Holman as he wept at that altar and prayed for people by name in the church and pleaded with God for his family and for the salvation of souls. And to be honest with you, I never got to pray because he prayed the entire time and then the music began to play and there was no time and we stayed up there. And by the time we were done praying, I stood up and I realized that 700 eyes were looking at us because he'd been praying for so long, but I got to see his heart that day. In John chapter 17, we see the heart of Jesus Christ. A lot of people, the Romans, hated him. He was an insurrectionist as far as they were concerned. The Jews, a lot of the Jews didn't like him because he was turning their religion upside down. The Pharisees couldn't stand him because he threatened their very existence Yet, I dare say that if they just spent a time in prayer with Jesus Christ, they would have learned how much he loved them. Look, if you will, in John chapter 17 this morning in the Bible, I won't read it all at once, but let's read the first few verses. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been for Jesus to say? Just a little while later, he'd say, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was a fearful time. It wasn't something he looked forward to. You understand that we have missions that have been given us in this life and things that we are mandated to do and things that the Bible commands us to do that we don't relish always. Some of us say, well, I could could never tell another soul about Christ. I'm afraid they might mock me or scorn me. I I can't let people at, at my workplace know that I know about Jesus Christ or that I go to church faithfully. That would be, I'd become a laughingstock. I don't want people in my school to know that I'm a Christian. They'll persecute me. It's not always easy to do what Christ wants. But it is always right. It wasn't easy for Christ to come to Calvary, but it was God's plan, and it was God's will. And so for Christ to say those words, Father, the hour has come, must have been heart-wrenching. I don't know what Jesus knew as a 12-year-old, but there in the temple, he said to his mother, I must be about my father's business. He knew that his father had a special plan for his life. He knew that he had been set apart for something very special. And I, 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 we say, well, he was God in the flesh. He must have known. But it seems that if we read the Bible correctly, that Jesus Christ had set aside a lot of those things that he would grow in wisdom and in favor with man. If he was God and knew everything, he didn't have to grow in wisdom. But the Bible is very plain that he did. He wouldn't have had to go to school, but he did. He wouldn't have to learn to be a carpenter, but he did. And so God had somehow shielded him from some of the things that were coming. But when he was 12, did he know? When he was baptized, John the Baptist was... The will of God fully laid before him. Did he know that he would one day end at Calvary? And I believe he did because he began to preach as he went. His preaching began to grow. And began to reveal that one day he would give his life for the sins of the world. It's at the beginning of this story in John chapter 3 that we read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those are the words of Christ to Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And Jesus seemed to know very early on. But as those years ticked away, it seemed like something that was so far down the road, it wasn't something we need to worry about right now. If you were to go to the doctor today and the doctor was going to say to you, well, listen, here's the thing. He says, I think you have about 30 years left to live. I don't know that that would scare a whole lot of us all that much. That would make me 73, and i, I got to be honest, that's pretty good for a fury. 73? I, I mean, I would, I would look forward to that. Dr. Lee Roberson, when, when he was 94 years old, he went to his doctor, and his doctor said this, he says, your heart is so strong that when you die, we're going to have to beat your heart to death. He says, you're just in such incredible shape. Now, he died at 95, but he says, you're just so strong. If we went to the doctor and said, you've got 30 years to live, we, we probably some, a lot of us would embrace that. Say, hey, that's, that's pretty good. That's going to make me 80, 85, 90. Maybe some of the teenagers wouldn't like that. But if you went to the doctor and he said, you have three months to live or three weeks to live, all of a sudden it becomes very real, doesn't it? We begin to treat life differently and we begin to look at the circumstances around us and we begin to prepare ourselves for the inevitable. Jesus is acknowledging that time has come. This is not a 12-year-old boy understanding I've got 20 years. This is not a man that has been baptized and understands that maybe I've got three, three and a half years. This is a man that knows he just has hours left. And he expresses to God the hour has come. And here's what he prays. Glorify thy son... That thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, I am thrilled this morning... To welcome these new folks into our church. What a blessing. Lord, for the Sims and Staley's and the Strides. Lord, we pray that you bless them. I pray that they'd feel part of our family. Father, I'm thankful also for the songs that have been sung that would glorify your name. Lord, we are so thankful for that sweet hour of prayer. And when I think of that sweet hour of prayer, I can't help but think of the time that the Lord Jesus Christ stole away into the garden with sweated drops of blood, and pleaded with you to let this cup pass, but finally accepted your will and gave his life a ransom for many. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we examine this, what has been called the high priestly prayer of Christ, and we learn that Jesus really does love us by the way he intercedes for us. Give us another portrait of Christ today, another side of him that we might learn more about him and draw closer to you as a result father may the holy spirit speak to our hearts and help us fill me i pray i need your help we surrender to you and father we'll thank you in jesus name amen in the passage of scripture i just read you those first six verses we find the first element of the lord jesus Christ's prayer and i i've titled it this exaltation in prayer The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us something by exalting God in his prayer. You know, prayer ought to really be a time of praise and thanksgiving as well. Somebody has said this, what if God gave you tomorrow only the things we thanked him for today? I wonder if we would just put aside all of our needs and cares for but a moment and spend a special time each day in prayer just giving thanks to God. Just praising him for what he's done and worshiping him for all all that he is. And that's really what the difference between praise and worship is. We talk about praise and worship in in one sentence, but there is a difference. Praise is giving praise and thanks to God for all that he has done for us. Worship is thanking God for who he is. So we exalt Christ for being our saviour. And we worship God for being our Father that sent His Son. We, we worship God for being almighty and all-powerful. We worship Christ for being the great physician. But we thank Him and praise Him for the personal works in our lives. And do we spend time exalting God like that? Jesus did. As we look at the exaltation in prayer, the Bible talks about us in verse 1. And this topic in verse 1, He says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now, look what he says. Glorify thy Son. Now, if there was a period there, we'd say, we better not learn from that. It's okay for Jesus Christ to be glorified because he is God in the flesh. He is the Word made flesh. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the one that sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the one that intercedes for us. He is worthy of glory. And it's okay for him to say, God, glorify me. But if we are going to learn from this, look what Jesus Christ says. He says, Glorify thy son, comma, not period, that thy son also may glorify thee. He's asking God to glorify himself. He's asking if God would receive glory from all that is done in his life and in the coming hours as Christ would be betrayed, as he'd be betrayed into the hands of sinners, would he act in such a way that would glorify God? I get little articles that come across my desk quite frequently from emails and things like that and there's one that I read, it's, uh, it's articles for pastors and such. And one of the authors on the one was an American man, and he was talking about the American elections again. That's kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind. And he got talking about the last week in Iowa, what happened there, and New Hampshire's coming up on Tuesday, the the caucuses that that are taking place. And he began to talk about now there's some real pressure on these men. Donald Trump did not perform in Iowa as well as he thought he might. Marco Rubio performed well above what they expected he might. And, and Mr. Cruz had stepped back a couple points from what was predicted as well. And so they were talking about this pressure. And now the, the hyperbole and the, and, and the, uh, the fighting has, has stepped up. They've been very pointed with one another in the media. And talking about one another's faults. And this author, this pastor said this. He says, it is times like these that we will see their truth. True character. It's when people are throwing things at us. When people are talking about us and lying about us and, and trying to tear down their opponents, he says, how they react during this time will tell us whether or not they are presidential or not. And he made that application to the Christian life. He says, when everything's going well, that's not how we judge your character but when the world is persecuting us and attacking us. That's when we see what we're really made of. That's when Christ can truly be seen in us. You'll notice that Jesus prefaced his comments by, Father, the hour is come. A couple months ago, Judy Judge sang a song, and as she was singing, I was sitting here, and I got tripped over a couple words. that ever happened to you? Now, I've encouraged you in the past, don't, don't set your doctrine by a song. All right? You, you can't do that. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. My Bible says there's at least a thousand-year millennium and there's, a, you know, there's time still. And, and so we sing songs that sometimes don't just click just right, you know? And, and she sang a song and I started tripping over the words. And it was talking about Mary and how she'd seen Christ at his best And she'd seen him at his worst. And I thought, when was Jesus ever at his worst? And as I was sitting there, I missed the rest of the psalm because it dawned on me, I began to think, this hour that Jesus is talking about was the worst day of his life. It was a day that his father would forsake him. It was a day that the sins of mankind would be placed upon his back. It was a day... Where he'd be nailed to a cross. is was a day that they would rip out his beard. And spit in his face. It was a day that they put a crown of thorns upon his head. It was a day that they would cast lots over who could get his clothes. It was a day of utter humiliation. It was the absolute worst hour of his life. And Do you know what Jesus said? Father help me glorify you. That was his prayer. His prayer was that he would exalt God no matter what happened. What a horrible day. A day that Christ would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet through it all, his prayer was, Lord, help me to exalt you in this. Jesus recognizes some things During his prayer that God deserves to be glorified for. It's almost like we need a reminder. And he says, here's here's what I'm going to glorify God for. And in verse 2 we see, first of all, we need to glorify God for eternal life through Christ. The Bible says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Listen, are you glad you're saved today? Then we need to exalt God. We need to glorify him in our prayer. We need to thank him every day for that Christ died on the cross and paid the price for my wicked soul that I could have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We see also that we are to glorify God in the everlasting light of God. Verse 3 says this, and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God. And Jesus Christ him thou hast sent. Verse 6 says, I have manifested thy name unto the men. You know what that word manifest means? It means to shine a light upon. I am so thankful that Jesus came because once I was a child of the darkness. But now I have come into his everlasting light. Jesus Christ shined a light upon the Father and he reconciled us to God. We are to thank God for that. We are to exalt him for that, that Christ has made a way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. We are to exalt him in prayer through, because of eternal life, because of the everlasting light, and because of the earthly legacy of Christ. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. When I think of Christ's legacy on earth, I think first of all of his miracles. I thank God for his power. Notice how Christ, as he prays, all he's doing is exalting God, these first six verses. He's thanking God for salvation. He's thanking God for all that He is and all that He does. He thanks Him for eternal life through Christ. He thanks Him for the everlasting light that allowed us to be reconciled to God, that He shined a light upon him. He's thanking Him for Christ's legacy. I, I have finished the work. I have glorified the unearth. He's thankful for those miracles. Uh, listen, can I tell you something, God is still in the miracle-working business. Do you know that? God still has the power. Every time you see a soul saved, that's a miracle. That's the result of Calvary. That's the result of an empty tomb. Not a soul could be saved if Christ laid in that grave. That's a miracle. God has the power to heal. He is the great physician. God can still do miracles. Then we also see with this legacy, we see not only his miracles, but his ministry. Jesus said, I've come to bind the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. He is the balm of Gilead. He is that comfort that we know and he is that presence that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So not only do we thank God for his miracles, but we thank God for his ministry. But I see in verse 5 that we are to thank God for his mission. What was lying before the Lord Jesus Christ still at this point in time was he still had to go die on the cross. The Bible says in verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee, before the world was. You know the crowning moment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was Calvary in an empty grave. Jesus said if I be lifted up. I will draw all men unto myself. The Bible goes on to clarify. He's not speaking there of. Just being promoted and preached about. He was signifying which death he should die. He was speaking about being nailed to the cross of Calvary. He was speaking about lifted up before the men of this world and being mocked and despised. There was a mission set before us and Jesus' prayer was God, no matter what happens, I have glorified you on this earth through my miracles and my ministry and now as I go, Father, Lord, help me to glorify you before the world before I come home. He says in verse five, he makes reference to that time he'll be reunited with the Father He says, now glorify thou me with thine own self. As I return to your presence, as I come home in just a few days, he says, I want to return to that glory that I had before I came to this world. He was going home. The first thing we can learn from the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are to exalt God in our prayer. The first six verses, that's all he does is he gives thanks and exaltation in prayer. The second thing I want you to see this morning is his expression in prayer. Expression. What did his prayer express to those that would hear him? The Bible, if you'll look back again, John chapter 16, just back a little bit. Jesus is speaking in verse 31. He says, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and I and yet I am am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, but in, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, The Bible doesn't say he ever stole away. He didn't get away from the disciples to pray privately. He's preaching to them and just simply begins to pray. It's almost like it's the end of his sermon and he's closing in prayer. The disciples were there on hand to hear what Christ would pray. As a matter of fact, John wrote it down. The Holy Spirit helped him to remember many years later, but it sounds like a first-hand account as Jesus was beginning to pray. He says, these words spake Jesus. And so what did Jesus express to those that heard? First of all, verse 7 Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. I want you to notice, first of all, the deference of Jesus. Jesus was not trying to receive glory for himself. He was giving glory to the Father. The Bible says in verse 7, he told the disciples through prayer that everything came from God. Anything that they had received, anything that he had preached, was something that God had given him, and he had passed it on to them. They have known that all things, whatsoever thou hast given me, are of thee. We see his deference in his salvation. Look back at chapter verse 2 with me. He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as. Thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God. Salvation comes from God. Jesus Christ was the word made flesh. He was the gift of God that came to give us eternal life. He was the one that would die on the cross and shed his blood. And yet he says, God, it was your idea. And I give you glory for salvation. Jesus was very humble in his prayer. We see regarding scripture in verse 8. Jesus again defers to the Father. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. The word of God. You know, we look at the Bible and we say, wow, Jesus was a fantastic preacher. We read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and we say, wow, isn't that a great message that Jesus preached? And we read, and Jesus at the end of his life says, God gave me every word. That's humility. Humility. We see that Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We see that he was there and kept by the Spirit of God. But the Bible says when he left the wilderness after being tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, he came into the Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it was that deference or that dependence upon God, it was that humility and that submission unto God that gave Christ great power. What a great example to us. If we are going to do anything for God, we must fall upon our face humbly before Him and defer to Him. Be very careful whatever you do. Friend, you're teaching a Sunday school class and somebody comes by and says, Oh, Brother McPherson, that was a fantastic message this morning. Don't puff out your chest and don't pull down your collars and say, Oh, wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? I I, I saw that in the Bible and I I masterfully uh, expounded upon it and I gave you some great principles to live by. No, humbly say, praise the Lord for his word. Isn't that wonderful what God can show us in the Bible? Let's not take credit for the things that God has done. Jesus in his prayer was deferring to the Father in salvation and in Scripture. And the very fact that he was our Savior in verse, chapter, uh, verse 8 in the second part, he says, I came out from thee. And they believed that thou didst send me. Jesus said, I came from God. Salvation was God's idea. I, I can't get over it, to be honest with you. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the Word made flesh, the Son of God, I mean 100% God, said, Salvation's of the Father. He deferred to Him. That's humility, that's submission. That's what he expressed to his disciples in prayer. Secondly, we see expressed in prayer the desire of Jesus. Not just his deference, but his desire. Look at verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Look at verse 22. In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. What was Christ's desire? What did he express? He expressed unity. That they might be one. Verse 11, verse 22, verse 23. That his people may be one. All those that would know Christ. You understand that he's praying in front of the disciples. And the disciples in just, in just a few weeks would be scattered abroad throughout the face of the entire earth. In 40 days Jesus would ascend up into heaven. They would go back to Jerusalem and there they would wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit would come. And the, the word of God would spill out into the streets. And thousands would be saved. But shortly after that because of persecution. The disciples would go into all parts of the world. There'd be some that would stay in Jerusalem, others would go down into Africa, some into the Far East. They believed that Paul the Apostle made it all the way to the shores of France and sent boats into Great Britain to preach the gospel. They said, What is the point? The point is this that Jesus was speaking to the representatives of many churches, and he says, I want you to be one. Now, I'm not talking about ecumenicalism this morning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to have other denominations preach in our pulpit. They have different fundamentals. they have different beliefs. They, they use a different Bible. I, I'm not for that at all. I'm just saying the, the, the truth is, this, friends, sometimes we treat unsaved people better than we do the brethren. You, did you hear what I said? It's, it's very easy for the, the neighbor's out cutting his grass. And say, hey, let's have a coffee, and we get a coffee with them. But we run into another Christian in the in the coffee shop, and we shun away from them because they they have a little bit different doctrine. Listen, I'm not asking you to preach to them. I'm not. I, I wouldn't say let them preach to you. I'm not saying get down and have a Bible study with them. I'm saying that we are brethren in Christ, and we're to be united in that sense. That was Christ's prayer. I remember going in a grocery store one time, and I, I told you about my friend Brother Ketchum, Lloyd Ketchum and his wife were from the Foursquare Church. Anybody heard of the Foursquare Church, and uh, the Foursquare Church was an offshoot of the Pentecostal church and because the Pentecostal church wouldn 't allow women preachers, so the Foursquare Church started because they would allow women preachers and Mr. and Mrs. Ketchum went to a Uh, more of a a charismatic church on Sunday mornings, but you understand they were 90 years old, and their church didn't have an evening service, so every Sunday night they'd come to our church. And I used to love having them, to be honest with you, because they were vocal. You understand what I'm saying? They were Pentecostal. They were vocal. And Mrs. Ketchum would sit down there with her little fist, and she had this deep growl, and she went, Amen! Amen, preacher! Well, we had a good time with them. And they just come to church and they, they never interfered. They never, I mean, they never tried to share their doctrine with another. They never tried to take anybody from our church. We had folks, we had um, folks that came from the Salvation Army Church. They didn't have an evening service. And so they'd come in full uniform and sit in our church on a Sunday night. He said, did you let him preach? No, I didn't let him preach. Did he ever try to take anybody from the church? No, we'd have a problem then. He didn't try to share his doctrine. But Bram would come in and his wife, Bram Spurl was his name, and they'd come in every Sunday night and they'd sit in our church just because they enjoyed having a Sunday night service and they enjoyed preaching. And man, we had a good time of fellowship with them. It was not a problem. As a matter of fact, I was in the grocery store one day and, and I it was one of those stores where, well, every place is like this now, but this was one of the first. It was called Valdi's. Valdi's was a discount grocery store in Hamilton. And I don't think they even exist anymore, but you had to buy your own bags, to save money, you bought your bags. And so I got up there and I said, I think I need about six bags. And so I got the six bags. Well, I only needed five. So it just happened. I turned around. There's Brother Ketchum in line behind me. And I said, Brother Ketchum, I said, I bought too many bags. Don't buy. You only got enough there for one bag. Just take this one. And I gave it to him. And he looked at the cashier and he said, we're on the same team. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? We are on the same team the disciples were complaining that there was others that were baptizing. And Jesus said, nothing can be given to them unless it came from heaven. Later on, the the apostles were struggling with the same idea. and I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus. And Paul said, no, you're all of Christ. Listen, I, I, I know, I'm going to tell you a secret. We're going to get to heaven one day. We're going to find out we were wrong on some things too, Probably. We're not perfect. We're flesh. We're doing the best we can to interpret God's word and preach God's word and follow God's word. But listen, we ought, to, we ought to treat God's people better than we treat the infidels, but sometimes it's the other way around. We ought to love one another. Again, I'm not an ecumenicalist, not in any sense of the form. There used to be a pastor of the Mennonite Brethren Church in Hamilton. We got coffee together once in a while. Oh, no! We got mixed up all the time. His last name was Freer, F-R-E-R-E, and mine's F-E-E-R-E. And they always mixed us up. They called the wrong church all the time. But Brother Craig, he didn't have any fellowship at all, so we'd go and get a coffee once in a while. Hey, he's my brother in Christ. He he didn't use the same Bible I did, but he's still my brother. He's still a child of God. And we got to be careful how we treat one another. Christ said, I want them all to be one. I gotta be honest with you, I think the church that Philip pastored was probably a little bit different than the one Timothy pastored, and it was a little bit different than the one that Andrew pastored and the other disciples. Yeah, they were Bible-preaching churches, but they'd have their differences, and we're called to love one another. You know, sometimes we'll get a missionary with a need, and they'll call, and they'll say, well, you know, we started this church, and we we need some chairs for our auditorium. You know what? We're just gonna go and buy the... I don't, I don't ask to see their doctrinal statement. I, don't, I already know them. Brother Wyatt was a good friend of mine. He's an independent fundamental Baptist. He preaches the Bible. He preaches the gospel. They needed a pulpit one day, so we gave him a pulpit. I, di- I didn't say, well, show me your standards. How long should a man's hair be? Brother Wyatt, what do you think about the length of a lady's skirt? We didn't go through all that. Instead, we loved one another. We tried to help. Christ calls for unity. But then I want you to see in his prayer, we see not only the desire of Jesus, but the design of Jesus. In verse 13, Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in the know, Christ's design is that you might have joy. That's the purpose with sharing his word with the believers. If you read the whole context, he says, I want them to have my joy These things I speak in the world, the word of God, that they might have joy. The Lord Jesus Christ, think about this, is praying for your joy. Joy is different than happiness. I can go to a funeral and have joy. I don't have happiness. There are times where I'm discouraged. There's times where we have grief. There's times where we suffer sorrow, but we can still have the joy of Christ. And Christ is praying, as he is in in John 17, that his believers might have joy. And then he says in verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I want you to notice that Jesus is praying for our preservation. He wants us to understand his sufficient grace. He says, I have given them thy word. Why? Because it will preserve them. The world hates them. but They have the world. I pray not, verse 15, that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Sometimes we look around and we watch the news and say, Lord, why are we here? God says, I'm praying to preserve you, to keep you from the evil. Keep preaching Christ. Keep sharing the gospel. He'll preserve us. Then he's praying for our separation. Verse 16, they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them. That means to set them apart or to separate them. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There is separation. We can have fellowship with the brethren in Christ. We can have a coffee with unsaved people. We can share the gospel. We can be friendly and kind. But there is a separation. The word of God divides We are separated by truth and there are some things that we must not compromise. We must stand on the truth. So to be sanctified, verse 18, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. What did Christ express in prayer? The desire of Jesus, the design of Jesus And the deference of Jesus. But I want you to notice finally this morning the example in prayer. What can we learn from Christ's prayer? First of all, we can learn his purpose. Christ's purpose in prayer was to bring glory to God, to bring glory to God. If I can just reference those first five verses again, that was his purpose. When we pray, our purpose ought to be to bring glory to God. I'm reminded again of James chapter 4 and verse 3. You ask and you have not because you ask amiss. We're going to consume it upon our own lusts. That's not bringing God glory. But Jesus, everything he prayed, says, God, I want you to have glory for this. I want you to somehow get glory through my life, glory through my ministry, glory through my miracles, glory through my crucifixion. That's what he prayed, that God would get glory. The second purpose is not just to bring God glory, but to fulfill the plan of God. Look at chapter uh, 17, verse 2. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. There was a two-part process here. God was going to give Christ people, but Jesus had to give them eternal life. They had to work together. There was a plan in place. And Christ prayed, God, help us fulfill the plan of God. Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, bringing people to the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. That was the plan of God, and Christ prayed for it. But not only were they going to fulfill the plan of God, they were going to keep the plan of God. Look at verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. That is an expression of God saying, God, help me keep them. I'm thankful what the Bible says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. And Christ is praying for us that we will be sustained and that we will grow, that we be grafted firmly into the vine. So first of all, the example we can pray is we need to pray with God's purpose. Do we pray with God's purpose? Do we pray that God would be glorified in all that we do? Do we pray that God's plan will be fulfilled? on this earth when Christ taught his disciples to pray he prayed that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that was to fulfill the plan of God so the first example is the purpose of God secondly we are to pray in the priorities of God verse 9 says again I pray for them I pray not for the world but for them there's a priority there Christ was praying he said I'm praying very specifically I'm praying for those that have given me I'm praying for the brethren I'm not praying for the world That's not the priority in this prayer. Now, we are to pray for the lost. We are to pray for them that despitefully use us. We are to pray for our enemies. We are to pray that souls might be saved. But Christ was prioritizing his prayer. And he's saying, God, right now, here's what I'm praying for. Not the world. I'm praying, do we have the priorities of God straight when we pray? Are we looking to the word and saying, God, what is it you'd have me to ask for? What are the priorities in my life at this moment? Verse 15 says this, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. He's being very specific in his prayer. God, I'm not praying this, but I am praying this. There's a priority involved. It's more important, he's saying, uh, Paul's choice would be to leave the world. He says, I'm caught betwixt the two. Man, to go to heaven would be a wonderful thing. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But he said, nevertheless, I have to stay. It's better for you if I stay and preach the gospel. The desire of any Christian is to go home. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Would anybody be opposed if the ceiling opened up right now and Christ said, come on home? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I I mean, we'd look forward to that. But Jesus said, listen, I'm not asking them to be taken out of the world. I'm asking that to be kept from evil. There was a priority there. Verse 20 says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them which also shall believe on me. He say, why? He's praying for those that would come down the road. There's a priority there. He's praying for you. Not just for the disciples, but for those that would believe later on. He's praying with priority. And then we see his posture before God. Think about this with me. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ... Submitted himself to the Father. If Jesus submitted himself, what should our posture be? If Jesus came humbly to God, how should we come? That's his example to us in this prayer. Over and over again, he just submits himself. Just the fact that he's praying is submission to God. Let me ask you, what is your prayer life? Are you humble before God? When you're driving down the road and it's slippery and slidey, is your very first thought to start talking to God? Where, where, what's your priority? Do you humbly submit yourself to him in all things? When you're faced with a financial problem, do you think to yourself, well, we'll get through this. We'll get through this. Or do you turn to God who says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. When you're faced with a medical issue, do you say, well, listen, have a positive outlook. Keep a stiff upper lip. We're going to get through this. Or do you say, no, we're going to pray. We're going to go to God. Every time we pray, we are submitting ourselves to God's authority in our lives. That's what Jesus is teaching us. His posture in this last hours was to humble himself to the will of God. Listen, if we really want to see God get glory for everything we do, we have to humble before him. We have to fall before him and submit to him and understand that he is to receive the glory for all that we do. God is a jealous God, and he will not share his glory with another. And by praying and submitting to him, Jesus Christ on this earth, some might have overheard him, if there were Roman soldiers around, if there were other people other than the disciples, they might have thought, what a weak religious leader. That he would fall down before this God and he claims to be the Son of God and he claims to be God in the flesh but all he shows is weakness but friends, to me he shows strength as he humbles himself before the holy almighty God. That's our example today. If you get nothing else, Understand that we are to exalt God in prayer. What we express to God in prayer is very, very important. That we would humble ourselves. That we would pray in the will of God. And pray uh, in God's desires. But finally that we would uh, 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 follow Christ's example in prayer. By understanding his purpose, his priorities, and his posture before God. The Bible says he wasn't just the son of God. He was the son of man. A servant. A servant. Philippians chapter 2 says he became obedient under the death of the cross. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He was humble before God. Boy, and what what do we see in his life? Nothing but power. God blessed him beyond measure because he was a man of prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. It would be foolish of me to ask the question, Do you pray like Jesus prays? Because honestly, we don't do anything like Jesus does, although that's our desire to be Christ like. That's, That's setting the bar so high, but it doesn't give us an excuse not to try. But can we follow his example? Can we express the will of God when we pray? Can we be humble before God when we pray? The fact that God in the flesh was willing to humble himself before the Father God on the throne speaks volumes to us. For he who was perfect without any weakness, and yet we are full of weakness. How much more we ought to pray and humble ourselves before the Lord. The instruments can begin to play, if God has spoke to your heart, would you use this old fashioned altar and make a decision for the Lord pray right where you are let's stand together in case somebody would like to get out in this entire portrait of Christ we see how much Christ loves us for he was willing to submit himself and humble himself and go to the cross and pay the price for our sins but he prayed for those that would come along behind he's praying for you today his ministry is to sit at the right hand of the father and intercede on our behalf he loves you very much what a great god we serve maybe there's one here today say preacher i don't know jesus as my savior he was praying for those that would believe on his name later on and maybe you'd be one of those today that would believe on the name of jesus christ there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. The song being played right now is Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Why? Because it's through Jesus Christ. You can know the Father and you can know eternal life. There's one here today Say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die, I don't know where I'd go, heaven or hell, I'm just not sure. And I promise you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call it your name, but could I pray for you today? Would you slip up your hand? Is there one?